Hi, this is Amy Chow Smith, and you are listening to Bad Asian. For my second episode, I reached out to my friend Joanne Kim, who helps run her dad's sample and production factory in New York City's garment district. Joanne also just launched her own fashion line called Up Down Across. So Joanne's dad has had his business for about 30 years, and they work with well-known designers like Alexander Wang, Rachel Antonoff, Michael Kors, and Tim Coppins. Having grown up in New York to immigrant parents, I never thought of my parents' jobs as immigrant work. But what I didn't realize at the time, not being able to speak fluent English probably held my mom back from qualifying for most jobs, which pretty much explains why she became a pattern maker and a seamstress when I was little. From what she's told me, she really liked her work as a pattern maker for a company called Ann Taylor in the garment district in the 80s. But the only place that she worked that I have visited was when she was a sewer in Chinatown factories. Now, the idea of a Chinatown clothing manufacturing company has always brought to mind the idea of really claustrophobic spaces where people are churning out items as if it's a a farm. And I think in many ways it was. And these buildings still exist today, though Joanne says that the factories themselves don't exist in the buildings anymore. In any case, um, Joanne had a wealth of information about manufacturing business and fashion industry in New York. So I hope you enjoy episode two and be sure to listen to the end when we discuss a few personal issues. Oh no, not that early. My dad came in 1988 and me and my mom came 1990. So you were born in Korea. Korea. I came when I was six. Like in Korean culture, what they call it I'm always confused. They either call me the 1.5 generation or the 0.5 generation. I don't know if it's 1.5 or 0.5, but that generation who weren't born in in America but have been raised here to the point where they consider themselves more American than they do whatever, Korean or Chinese or whatever, Asian. How do you identify yourself? Like, do you feel more I mean, up until very recently, I considered myself very much American. Like going through junior high school, high school, college, and like early working years, never did I have to consciously think that I was Asian or that I was Korean. Right, where did you grow up? I grew up in Queens. Through elementary school, junior high school, high school, I came in and out of, you know, groups that were all different cultures. So like... Through elementary school, I was hanging out with all the black and Spanish, Latino kids, and then I kind of fell out of that and started hanging out with all the Korean kids, fell out of that, and then um, started hanging out with all the white kids, who was like, at that when like Abercrombie and Fitch and American Eagle was like uh, super hot, yeah. and I was like, yeah, I'm a white girl. And I, I just came in and out of that throughout until throughout high school, and then in college, I went to Hunter College, mm-hmm. and we were just a huge mix of cultures. I always just considered myself as American as a white person considers themselves American. And then I joined the factory, and all of a sudden, oh shit, I'm Korean. Front of house, um, we only speak Korean, because all the front of house, the pattern makers, the tech designers, the office managers, the accountants, whatever, the, all the front of house admin, all Korean. 
you know, Johnny, it all starts with Johnny's Johnny. your dad. Yeah, yeah, Johnny's my dad. He's been doing this for 30 years, and he just doesn't communicate well in any other language than Korean. You know, he tried to hire a Chinese person in the office. He wouldn't be able to communicate it. Right. It happens so that everyone in the front of house is Korean. Because you can talk to each other. Yeah, because the front of house can talk to, communicate with the owner in Korean while still they're client facing, so they can speak to clients in English. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, they have to be able to speak a broken type of English to communicate with the back of house which is a mix of um, Latino and Chinese. Hmm. So, f- like, fewer Koreans in the back of the house. There's no Koreans in the back of the house. Well, why aren't there more, like, Koreans? Or I thought there were not many. There used to be. So, when Koreans first started immigrating to, you know, whether it's New York or Texas or L.A., they were the ones sewing. But how Johnny explains it is that the Korean immigrants who moved here tend to be a little bit more entrepreneurial or just were too stubborn to be an employee and wanted to be bosses of their own or own their own business. Mm-hmm. So everyone started here in New York as sewers, and but they quickly made their way up to be owners. And so now what is happening is that it's hard to find a Korean sewer because they're too expensive. Interesting. And so, and majority of them are the owners. Got it. I'm sure there'll be a different side of the story, too, because I haven't experienced this firsthand. This is whatever I hear from my father and all his friends who are factory owners. Garment District is pretty evenly split right now, three ways. Korean-owned, Chinese-owned, and Spanish-owned, like Latino communities. So fascinating. But when, you know, early 20th century, 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, until maybe around the 70s, which is when, like, Korean, Chinese, Mexicans, they all started immigrating here. Mm-hmm. It was all Jewish owned, the garment district. And Chinatown and Lower East Side. Now, Chinatown, there's hardly any factories. Why is that? Is it the, the A lot of the demand was lost. In, in the last two decades. I think in the US in general and how that affects the city. Mm. There's in the nineties, everyone, all designers and big brands, they all went overseas. Before then, for example, my dad had a Um, production facility in Long Island City with 300 sewers. Um, He went bankrupt because his two big clients decided they're no longer going to produce in the U.S. It's much cheaper. There was like some sort of trade act that happened with Asia and um, it became much cheaper to produce overseas. Whether it's India or China or Vietnam or Thailand or Korea. And so he lost his business. And then he started a small factory that was only doing um, small uh, production units and development, which is what we end up doing still now. Growing up, seeing my mom and my aunts working as sewers, they're like every hour they're expected to do a certain amount. And that's where the idea of like the the sweatshop comes in. And, um, And I am curious, like, where that's gone, yeah. if it still exists, or is it... It exists overseas. It exists to a certain degree in the garment district, but, you know, it's not like you're literally in, like, a 120-degree weather factory where you'd get treated like shit. That's where the word sweatshop comes from? Yeah. Okay. And now, yeah, factories get hot in the summer. Like, we have six ACs running, but it's still never cool because we're on the highest floor and oh, we have so much machinery that it's just we, we can't keep it cool here in, I, I was in actually August. really surprised at how cool it was here because 
my when I did go visit those factories, it yeah. was always really hot. Yeah. I would have walked up like four flights of stairs. Yeah. And you couldn't see people above the stacks of yeah. Of and working working conditions are majority of the factory owners I know now at least all employees are treated much better than what we would imagine. Right. Um, if you don't know about you know man garment manufacturing or like what you think about when you think garment man manufacturing because you do think sweatshop. Um, so that ended around the 90s, you said, because yeah. of like the trade yep. agreements with Asia brought a lot of, like shipped a lot of these jobs yeah. over to Asia. Yeah, um, which means also that a lot of that tape, that labor and all that talent is lost. And to get it back, it's going to take another 10 years to properly train labor here mm -hmm. to... Um, to increase made in USA and to increase manufacturing ca capacities. So how long have you, you, you said you joined your I dad's company? I joined um, a lot longer than I realized the other day. I, I've been saying, I've been here for two years. I've been saying that for the last two years. Okay. And so I just, I, four years? yeah, so I, I realized like last week, holy fuck, I've been here four years. Yeah, because you were doing, um, was marketing and yeah. and writing yeah. before yeah. and what drew you to your dad's company? Um, so at that time he was struggling. He wasn't get having enough work. He wasn't getting enough work. So I came in and I said, okay, let me build you a nice website mm -hmm. and a cute logo. And let me do a little marketing, right? Let's make a nice pamphlet. Let's mail it out. Just some like old school advertising. That quickly turned into being stuck there, helping him in other things, and um, what is now, what's been the case now for the last two years, I ended up owning, running, and operating. And, like, do you and your dad get along? No. No? Why, like, no. because of a business, or because... Running a small business is hard. Running a family-run small business, um, I think it can be either really, really great synergy and it works really well. I don't know. Or it's going to be really, really shitty because there's too many chefs in the kitchen. And yeah. that's what's happening right now. But the chefs are just you and your dad right now? Or yeah. Is there, or the no, owner? it's just me and my dad. About a year ago, I started to think about having my own line for two reasons. I own a good chunk of the supply chain. So I'm in a very unique uh, position. Yeah. Um, and number two, as a factory, I don't foresee ever making money. The only and, way. And why is that? Is it just because of like the size you are, or just the industry as a whole? It's the industry as a whole. In order for the only way to be able to scale, is for there to be a demand for made in USA manufacturing. And the only way to increase demand in made in USA manufacturing is to lower price the on of a garment that you buy at a store. Yeah. The only way to lower price is to be able to offer production, make prices um, for the brand. And the only way to do that, it's, it's just like endless circle. So it's catch-22. Like yeah. You just can't do one without the other. No. And no one wants to pay no. for that. When anyone thinks about fashion, they think, you know, fancy, glitzy, glamorous, magazines, runways. runways. Nobody, shoots. yeah, exactly. Nobody ever thinks about the nitty gritty, which is changing now, right? Because now people are curious about how it's made. And I think one, one brand that's really was the first to bring that to the forefront was 
despite all the scandal, is American Apparel. And the brands now that are doing, that are really kind of stand behind the exposing to consumers about what they do and how it's how their clothes are made are um, Reformation, okay, Everlane, Zadie. Yeah, Zadie's a friend. Personally, this is very personal opinion. I think American Apparel were the first to really utilize or develop a relationship with manufacturers as their partners, as opposed to just, you're a factory just here, do this work, I treat you like an animal. Yeah. Joanne and I talked a little bit more about these companies that are bringing to light what the manufacturing process is actually like. And afterward, Joanne wanted to take a cigarette break. Even though I don't smoke, I of course decided to join her and we found an open window in the stairwell and that's where we chatted while she smoked her American spirits. You said when you entered this industry working here, you suddenly felt like you're like, oh my God, I'm Korean, like I'm Asian. So it's an advantage, disadvantage? It's an com- absolute advantage. Um, it allowed me to right, discover part of myself that's half of myself. I was able to discover the Korean side of myself through you know, my day-to-day exposure to the language, to the culture, because the way Koreans run business is very, very different from what I'm used to as an employee of American companies. Um, it's run completely differently, and that's where me and my dad clash a lot. And in what way? Like um, Nothing is run on paper. Uh-huh. Nothing is on contract. Everything is just handshakes. Mm-hmm. And it, that has its pluses and its minuses. It's just keep your good word. But if you don't keep your good word, I am not paying you. Even though, but if, we, if this was a contracted situation, you would have to pay me. Because it's, you would have proof. Yeah. And that's a lot of the garment district is, a lot of my competitors, for example, are fully cash run. And eventually that's gonna catch up to them. End up in shit. Yeah. And I'm more expensive than my competitors because I fucking pay taxes. You're American versus your Asian yeah, part. Yeah, there's where that was like a new side of discovery for me. So like, okay, so now I'm Korean. So I have to figure out how, on a business level, trying to like even that out, which is not easy. I learned the language. I'm now fluent in Korean, whereas in before I entered the factory, I never had to speak Korean. Ever. Um, unless I'm at home with my mom, but I never spoke with my mom in the first place. I never had a good relationship with her, so we never had any reason to talk about anything. I never, I never in my entire life spoke about my feelings in Korean. And in the last four years now, I know how to express all my grievances in Korean in its multiple facets. Um, and I discovered Korean drama. Like watching? Yeah, watching Korean dramas, which are like the most amazing things in the world. <laughs> and they're like, so addicting, and they're so ridiculous, but they're so great. Are they movies, ridiculous. or are they episodic? Episodic. They, okay, it's um, like Chinese soup, soap yeah, operas. Yeah, it's like, it's soap operas, but it, it's too much. Like, it's really grandiose, the stories. Is it like... It's so dramatic. It's like Spanish soap yeah, operas? Yeah, it's like... Um, Telemundo. Yeah, like telemundos, like uh, telenovelas. Telenovelas. As long as I've known you for like six years, you were married married to a Dominican person. And did your parents have any? Um, my mom was very against it. She said, if you marry a non-Korean, you will have demon babies. 
and that he's going to cheat and leave you as soon as you have a baby and that you're going to hell. My dad, however, his only resistance was that, which I'm lucky, um, considering most Korean, like Asian dads, uh, who are very like strict and not flexible at all, Johnny is. And he said his only disappointment and resistance is that he can't have drinks with him and eat Korean barbecue and drink soju and like have man conversations. Because that's actually a dream of Johnny's to have, be able to have a son-in-law. So someone who he can like really treat like his own son. And of course you can only do that if you can communicate with them. And um, because he doesn't speak English to that level, um, to have like social, casual, personal conversations, it's very, it would be very frustrating for him. And so to him, it's, that's too bad. It's a disappointment, but you know, it's your life, do whatever it is you want to do. You just broke up with a boyfriend who was also not yep. Asian. Are you just not attracted to Asians? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll be right up front and say it. I, but of course there's the dream that it would be amazing if I can find a Korean American dude who's as open-minded and tanned and good-looking as I imagine him in my head. <laughs> I thought you said tanned and good-looking like me. <laughs> <laughs> like me. Well, I'm good. I'm tanned and good-looking, I like yes. to think. I mean, I gained 10 pounds, but I'm relatively good-looking. Yes, um, and you also can't tell that you gained 10 pounds. <laughs> um, but, and I am yet to find, but I'm also not looking. I, it's, it's a total stereotype that I've bought into that Asian guys um, are not very emotional, yet they're sensitive. You know, let's talk about sex, right? They're not very sexually. That's the um, stereotype. It. I. I. Okay. I will say it. I've bought into the stereotype, and I can be a bit more open-minded about it. I just haven't had the opportunity to. I mean, like for example, I met my now ex-boyfriend on Tinder. Never on Tinder during the six-month span that I was on it did I swipe right on an Asian guy because... Maybe you should uh, just to try so it. Now, well, maybe not right immediately, <laughs> but once I heal a little bit, maybe I can. It's really difficult for me to say that. Mm, good <laughs> I, job. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think everyone has a preference, and my preference is creative... No, I'm just not attracted to Asian guys. <laughs> You're like trying to make something yeah, I'm, up. I'm, I'm trying, I can't. This is, um... This makes us sound, I mean, it makes me sound really horrible. I think you're honest, and I, I mean, I've heard worse, let's <laughs> put it that way. Uh, <laughs> which makes me think I should definitely find, like, a hot Asian guy to talk to. Yes. <laughs> and then I'll introduce him to you. Hot Asian guys, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Here. We're waiting. <laughs> I'm waiting. Um. <laughs> well, I think that we covered a lot of topics from what it's like to run a small business and the differences between working for an American company and what it's like to run a Korean company. Uh, there were still some issues that didn't make it into the final cut. So here, Joanne talks about the biggest difference between immigrant workers and American workers. Immigrants are more affordable. 
Yeah. <laughs> and um, they might not know English, so right. is it harder for them to find anything like a office job? Yeah. And um, there, are, it's and this is very important, and it's it says something about Americans, I guess. Um, uh, sorry, immigrants. Immigrants are, are hardworking. Are That's very, 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 very hardworking. Yeah. Um, super, super hardworking because their focus isn't about self-discovery and creative outlet and doing what you love to do and finding your passion and blah, 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 blah. That's like a very first world problem thing. Um, immigrant For immigrants, it's about survival and it's about providing for your family. And that's the most important and that comes before doing something you're passionate about. This wasn't the first time that I had spoken with another Asian American about immigrants working harder than most people. Like there's a reason why native English speakers and first generation, second generation Asian American kids don't do the type of manual labor that our parents do. It's because we have the college education, the wherewithal, or just this different world of priorities than our parents have. I guess the takeaway is that you really can't judge someone by the work that they do because their situation and their priorities are probably totally different to yours. Oh, and speaking of priorities, what does success look like for you? Um, success to me at this point in my career and in my life, um, whether it happens in five years or 15 years or 25 years, um, I own multiple real estate. And each real estate is a big building that has a flagship store, has the design studio upstairs, has the showroom um, on the floor above that, has factories for the next five floors up, and then there's a indoor pool and a bar um, for all my fashion friends and my consumers. In New York. It's like in, you knew I was going to ask you in that. In Tokyo, in Berlin in Shanghai, in London. Who has achieved this? Fast fashion. Fast fashion. Has achieved that. Well, that's so depressing. Yeah. Zara has achieved that. H&M has achieved that. Um, I don't know if they actually own the real estate, but they have achieved that. Uniqlo has achieved that. American brands, no, they run completely differently. They don't run. They they haven't achieved that. Um, But yeah, fast fashion has achieved that. that And that is scary. So that's just why this is a very, very bit. In Korean, you call it kekum, which means like dog dream. Like, yeah, Joanne, good luck with that. Yeah, well, you know. You gotta start. Oh, yeah, the American side of you is hopeful. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I gotta start somewhere. Yeah.